Merciful Father, we are grateful that we can come into your presence this morning. We thank you, Father, for how you have led in our lives individually and corporately as a church. And Father, we are excited for what you have in store for us as your people. We look forward to the time when we can be with you in the kingdom of heaven. But until that time, Lord, may we be faithful to you, I pray. Please, Father, send your Holy Spirit now as we take a few moments to reflect upon your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the fall of 1984, and Laura had just made a new friend that had moved in at the end of the street. Her name was Penny. It was a dead-end road. There wasn't a whole lot going on, and Penny was around the same age as Laura. They had kids around the same age as well. So they instantly struck up a friendship and enjoyed time together. Laura, at the time was a Southern Baptist. Penny was a backslidden Seventh-day Adventist, and they had interests in spiritual things. One day, a conversation started where Laura expressed an interest to get a better understanding of the books of Daniel and Revelation. She said, in my church, the pastor never talks about the book of Revelation and Daniel. Have you ever heard that before? Well, it just so happened at the time, I love the way the Lord works out timing. It just so happened at the time that Penny had heard that the local Seventh-day Adventist church was getting ready to hold a Bible prophecy seminar. And so she said, Laura, if you go, I'll go with you. Why don't we go together? Laura was all in. This was just where her interest was. She wanted to learn more about the books of Daniel and Revelation. So they got together. The day came. They had their Bibles. They got together, drove down to the church. And as they sat night after night after night, that's when they used to do seminars for six weeks. Night after night, they sat there and listened to the messages. And Laura was just profoundly impacted by the clarity of God's word. She found encouragement by the Sabbath message. She found hope from the message on the state of the dead, the health message, the the Antichrist, and all the identifying marks. This was just amazing. It was so mind-blowing how clear the word of God was. And so it came to the end of the time, the end of the seminar, and the evangelist gave the invitation. For those that were in attendance, the guests anyways, to become part of of God's remnant church. Well, Laura, there was not much hesitation in her mind. She was raised Roman Catholic. She went to be a Southern Baptist, and she realized this was just the next step in the spiritual journey that God was taking her on. So her and Penny decided that they would renew their commitment. Laura, for the first time, did the Adventist church. Penny, for the second time, and they both were recommitted. Laura was baptized Penny came in through profession of faith, and they began a spiritual journey together that has lasted until this day. We have a wonderful message, don't we? Amen? Now, I'm going to put the pause button on Laura's story here. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to a familiar old passage in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28.
verses 19 and 20. One that we could recite in our sleep. The scripture says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, I love this promise, always, even unto the end of the world. What a wonderful promise. Now I want you to think back with me, if you would. When Jesus actually spoke these words, he was speaking to 11 men when he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He was not speaking to a denomination of 19 million people. He was speaking to 11 men And he said, go into all the world and preach whatsoever I have commanded you. Can you imagine how overwhelming that must have felt for the disciples? Go into all the world. Preach all that I've I've taught you in the three and a half years of earthly ministry. Go. Now let's just be reminded what group of people he was talking to. Peter had denied his Lord three times. James and John had angered the others by seeking the highest position in the kingdom of heaven. Thomas had openly declared his lack of faith. Peter, James, and John failed to watch for an hour while Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And at the cross, they were all scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says to them, go. Go into all the world and proclaim whatsoever I have said unto you. The fulfillment of the gospel commission could not be, rest, could not be uh, entrusted to such a fragile group of people. There had to be something more <clears throat> that would compel them and move them forward to fulfill the calling of God in their life to teach whatsoever God had commanded them. They couldn't do it on their own. They needed divine leadership. If God had left it to those 11 men, it wouldn't have gone very far at all. But fortunately with the gospel commission is accompanied, or the gospel commission is accompanied by two promises. Go with me back to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28. We'll look at the first one and then the second one a little bit more closely. Matthew 28, verse 18, again, the Bible says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then the first word in verse 19 is go. So he says, go, because all power has been given unto me. Would you say amen to that? We can't go in our own strength but we can go in the strength of the Lord. With God, as we know, the Bible says all things are possible. So we can go and do what God has called us to do because all power has been given to Jesus. Go with me to your scripture reading this morning, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and this is where we will spend a little bit more of our time. The second promise, just prior to Jesus' ascension, Jesus is getting ready to go up into the clouds of heaven. Received by the angels, and the Bible says this, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says, but you shall receive what? Power, after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. When do we receive power as God's people? Listen to me carefully. A church that is not led by the Holy Spirit does not have power. But I am thankful that this denomination is spirit-led. This denomination has been led by the Spirit of God, and that's the reason why we are where we are at this time in earth's history. God is leading us to fulfill the commission that he gave to the disciples 2,000 years ago. He's chosen you, and he's chosen me. But that power only comes 
after the Spirit of God has come upon us. And listen to me carefully, brother and sister, this morning. A Spirit-filled church must first have Spirit-filled members. It has to happen in our audience chamber together with God each day where we meet with him and we talk with him and he guides us and he directs us and he teaches us from the words of scripture. And as we each individually have that experience with God, collectively, this church can do what is seemingly impossible in a postmodern world that we live in today. I believe that God can do amazing things as he did in the time of Acts But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen to this beautiful description of what happened after the Spirit of God fell on the day of Pentecost. Acts of the Apostles, page 48. You've read this before. She says this. What was the result of the outpouring of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost? The glad tidings of a risen Savior were carried to the uttermost parts of the inhabited world. As the disciples proclaimed the message of redeeming grace, hearts yielded to the power of the message. Listen to this. The church beheld converts flocking to her from all directions. Let the people of God say amen. Flocking from all directions. They were coming from everywhere. Wouldn't that be great to have that problem here in Muskegon? Do you believe it can happen? They were flocking from all over the place. They got, just so many converts were coming. The church was exploding during that time. Backsliders, she goes on, were reconverted. Do you have any of those around here? Seem to have them everywhere we go, don't they? Backsliders, reconverted. Sinners united with believers in seeking the pearl of great price. Some who had been the bitterest opponents of the gospel became its champions One interest prevailed. One subject of emulation swallowed up all others. Listen to this. The ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. Did you catch those two things? The purpose and the prevailing interest of the New Testament church was to show the world the character of Christ and to fulfill the gospel commission. And if you listen to me carefully this morning, you will hear me say that that is the only reason for the Seventh-day Adventist church's existence. The purpose why we are here, the purpose why we have this building, the purpose why, for why we have this structure is to fulfill these two things, to show the world the character of Christ and to fulfill the commission that God has called us to give. To preach a message to a dying world. To find the Loras out there who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. To grow and expand their knowledge of God's word. This is the reason why we are Seventh-day Adventists. Amen? It's the purpose for our existence. It's why the structure is there to begin with. 120 people in the upper room. That's all. I've been told there's about that that attend here at Muskegon. I don't know what the numbers are today, but 120. 120 people, and in 30 years, that 120 people were referred to the ones, referred to as the ones who turned the world upside down. Why? Because they were spirit-led. And if we want to turn our city upside down, it's only going to happen one way. It's not going to ha- happen by throwing more money at it. It's not going to happen by coming up with fancier programs. It's not going to happen necessarily by just having more warm bodies that are involved in things. The only way that it's going to happen 
is if it is spirit-led. And I believe one church who is spirit-led can do more than many churches who have lots of resources and are not being led by the Spirit of God. Let's look at two stories this morning. Acts chapter 8, go with me there if you would. There are three conversions that happen uh, consecutively, Acts 8, 9, and 10. Acts 8, we have the treasure of Ethiopia's conversion. Acts 9, Saul's conversion. Acts 10, Cornelius' conversion. So three conversions that happen right in a row there in three chapters. We're going to look at two of them, Acts 8 and Acts 10. You can look at Acts 9 on your own if you'd like. Acts chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 26. The Bible says this, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is what? Desert. Now, let's just get the background here of what's going on. In verses 5 and 6, you actually find that Philip had been spending quite a bit of time evangelizing the city of Samaria. And as you read the account, you'll find that he met, he met with great success. Lots of people were converted. Lots of people were accepting the message. They were accepting Jesus, that he was their Messiah, their crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior. They were embracing the message, and it was just an explosive growth that was happening in Samaria. Lots of good things were happening there. And now the spirit, or the angel, the Bible says, comes to Philip and says, go where? Where? He says to go to the desert. Now, the last time you checked, did you find very many people in the desert? Philip was an evangelist. Evangelists need people to do their job, right? And so the angel says, go to the desert. Now, I think Philip would have been justified in saying, hang on a second, am I really getting this communication properly? But Philip didn't question that because Philip had a good communication with God. You know the story. He got up, and he took the 35-mile trip. Have you ever walked 35 miles before? Takes a long time, one step after the other. And what do you think was going through Philip's mind? What in the world is going on here? All this success, all of these people, they need leaders. They need guidance. They need more instruction, and I'm going to the desert. You think the leaders might have questioned Philip's sanity? I'm going to the desert. And he's walking 35 miles, trudging along, thinking, thinking, thinking. And then all of a sudden, what does he see? What does he see? He sees a man. He sees a man. Now, when you're in the desert and you're by yourself and you see another person, what is your natural inclination? You want to connect up with them and say, hey, you know, we've got something in common here. Let's, let's, let's do this journey together. So he meets up with the treasure of Ethiopia. Now, let me ask you a question here very quickly. Do you think it would have been possible for Philip to overlook the treasure of Ethiopia in the city of Samaria? Possible. All the people, all the hubbub, all the busyness, all the the, the success, it would have been very possible for him to overlook the treasure of Ethiopia. But listen, when you're out in the desert and you're all by yourself and you see another person, the natural thing is for you to connect up with them. So God had to take Philip and put him in a place where he could not but help recognize this man who the Spirit of God was working on his heart. So he meets up with the treasurer of Ethiopia. They talk together. They get acquainted together. And he finds out that the treasurer is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, in fact. And he asks him a question. He says, understandest what thou readest, in verse 30. 
And in verse 31, it says this. And he said, this is a treasurer, uh, the Ethiopian man. He said, how can, I, uh, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So Philip jumped up in the chariot, and he begins giving the Ethiopian man a Bible study. The Bible says he starts from there and he moves on. He tells him all about Jesus. And the, and the Ethiopian man learns about Jesus as the Messiah. Now, here's the mind-blowing thing to me. The Ethiopian man just came from Jerusalem. He's leaving Jerusalem, and he doesn't understand Isaiah chapter 53. Let me ask you a question. Of all the chapters in the Bible, should the Jews have understood Isaiah 53, yes or no? There are tons of prophecies in there about the Messiah and what he would do and how he would, you know, uh, what, what would happen in his life. And, and, and the Ethiopian man is leaving, and he has no knowledge or understanding of Isaiah chapter 53. Lord forbid that guests come to our church and leave without a better understanding of God's word. So he gives them this Bible study. And the result is that he's converted and he's baptized. Becomes a member of the New Testament church. Spirit of Prophecy, volume three, page 305 says this. Through his, the Ethiopian man's conversion, the gospel was carried to Ethiopia. And many there accepted Christ and came out from the darkness of heathenism into the clear light of Christianity. Did Philip see the results of his labor, yes or no? The Bible tells us after he baptized him, boom, he disappeared and went someplace else, right? God God moved him supernaturally from one place to another. So Philip gave the Bible study, gave the information, baptized the man, and then Boom, he's gone. Go someplace else. Philip never saw the results or the effects of that one Bible study. He didn't see that the Ethiopian community or the, the country of Ethiopia largely accepted Christianity because of the conversion of this one Ethiopian man. Philip never saw that. The Ethiopian man never became a local church member. He never took a local church leadership role of a deacon or an elder. He never paid his tithe to the local New Testament church. He was just gone. He went to the, back to the country of Ethiopia, and he carried back with him the gospel that God had given to him. Now, sometimes we may be tempted to think that our evangelism is not successful because we don't see apparent results. But I want to tell you something that happened in Muskegon Church many years ago that you probably have forgotten about. Many years ago, there was a young man by the name of Jim Musselman. Anybody know Jim Musselman? One over there. Many years ago, there was a young man by the name of Jim Musselman and his wife, Kim. They were Lutherans, but they had received a brochure in the mail advertising a Bible prophecy seminar at the Muskegon Seventh-day Adventist Church. They were interested, and so they came. And they sat night after night, and they could not refute what was being taught. They realized that this was the truth. Jim went back time and time again and talked to his minister and said, what about the Sabbath? What about the state of the dead? What about the second coming? He had all these questions that he asked his minister, and his minister didn't have good Bible answers to them. So Jim said, you know what? I'm going to become a Seventh-day Adventist. And he did. He became a Seventh-day Adventist. He was baptized in this church. But he didn't stay here very long. 
In fact, most of you have never even met him except for one hand that I saw. But Jim is an elder up at the Sheboygan Seventh-day Adventist Church where I just came from and is a great leader. Winning souls for God, supporting the local community, and more importantly, supporting the church of God in that small, little, depressed town. That was your work. Thanks for doing it. He was a great church member. Still is a great church member. Thanks for doing that. This is the vision that we have to have as God's people, that it's not about us. It's not about our church. It's not about what we see, but it is, am I being a faithful servant of God doing what he has called me to do? Leave the results in the Lord's hands, and let's just do what God has called us to do. Amen? Let's look at one more real quick here. Acts chapter 10. And then we're going to wrap this thing up. In Acts chapter 10, we find a very influential Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius, who we are told in the, in the spirit of prophecy, through his association with the Jews, had come in contact with Christianity. Verse 2 gives us an account of this uh, beautiful man. It says this, that he was a devout man, one that feared God, with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. How many of you would like to have that written about you in the Bible? This is a Gentile guy. That's the record that we have. There's, I only saw about four or five hands that were raised. I'll assume that the rest of you raised your hand in your heart. Very influential man. And the story goes that as he's as, as, as he's sleeping one night, he has this vision in the evening. And this angel comes to him and says, send some men to Joppa and look for a man by the name of Peter who is staying with one whose name is Simon the Tanner, lives next to the seaside. So he wakes up the next morning, uh, Cornelius does, and he gets his servants together. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Go to Joppa, look for Peter. He's staying with somebody by the name of Simon who is a tanner. So they go. They begin this 35-mile trip down to Joppa to find this man by the name of Peter, who they've never met. 35 miles away in the city of Joppa, Peter, the Bible tells us in verse 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So as they're coming into the city, what's Peter doing? Going up on the housetop to pray. And the spirit of prophecy tells us what he was praying for. In Acts of the Apostles, page 135, it says, And from the housetop, he, Peter, viewed the city of Joppa and the surrounding country. He hungered for the salvation of his countrymen. So what's he praying for as he's up on the roof? He's praying for the city of Joppa. He's not just up there having a devotional time. He's pouring out his heart for the conversion of the city. He's looking at the houses. He's looking at the commerce. He's looking at the city and saying, Lord, give me the city. And then, of course, he has the dream, which we deal with in our prophecy seminars. But then in verse 19, the Bible says this. Well, Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Who said unto him? The Spirit said unto him, 
Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for who has sent them? The Spirit says, I have sent them. Now, when you get a message like that, you go. I think the Lord had to make it very clear to Peter because we know that Peter had prejudice issues, right? He didn't want to be around the Gentiles. So the Lord had to make it very clear to him, this is what I want you to do, irrefutable. And so Peter gets up and he gets, with, gets together with these guys and he goes and he meets Cornelius and he says, Cornelius, why have you sent for me? What, what's going on here? And so Cornelius tells him, I had this vision. Angel said, go get you. So I sent for you. Here you are. Now tell me what it is that I am to learn. I was thinking about this this morning. If I were in Peter's place and somebody said, just tell me what I need to know, what would I say to them? I mean, listen, we have a lot of things to tell people at Seventh-day Adventists, don't we? What would you pick? Something that's worth thinking about this afternoon. Peter picks the wonderful message of Jesus, and he tells them all about him. His life, his miracles, his betrayal, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, all the work, the work that he's doing in the sanctuary, uh, in heaven, all of these things. He goes through it with them. Gives them this Bible study, if you will, or a sermon. And the Bible says this in verse 44, which is really kind of amazing to me. And then we're going to wrap this up. Well, Peter yet spake these words. The Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Did you say amen to that? There is no greater gift that you can help somebody to receive than to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, as we do Bible studies with people, as we lead them to the point of baptism, we understand that from the Bible, when somebody is baptized, they receive a special portion of the Holy Spirit. So we're helping them in that direction to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was just mind-blowing for the Jews, that the Gentiles would receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, God can work through Jew and Gentile alike. God wants to give his spirit to those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Final quote. It says this, Acts of the Apostles, page 139. <clears throat> the conversion of Cornelius and his household was but the first fruits of a harvest to be gathered in. They were the what? First fruits of a harvest to be gathered in. From this household, a widespread work of grace was carried on in that heathen city. Both Philip and Peter were used by the Spirit to find specific people who could do a greater work than they themselves. Hundreds, if not thousands of conversions came from those two Bible studies that were given. Why? Because they were Spirit-led. Listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. If there's anything you should crave in your spiritual life, it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if you've never experienced it in your devotional time, pray for it until you get it. It will come because we are promised that if we ask, we shall receive. How much more shall the Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask? The Lord wants to give us the Holy Spirit. The question is, are we willing to receive it? The Lord wants to use you like he used Peter, like he used Philip. He wants to lead you to the local Ethiopian eunuchs. 
He wants to lead us to those who are more influential and more successful at reaching people in our communities than we could ever be. Listen, if Philip had gone to Ethiopia, I don't believe he would have been as successful as the Ethiopian man was. And Cornelius was much more successful at reaching the Gentiles probably than Peter was. You see, God can lead us, if we're in tune to the Holy Spirit, God can lead us to those key people in our communities that have greater influence and more connections than we could ever have, and they will do much greater work than we could ever do. We have the truth, but God needs to lead us to the people who are hungering for that truth. Do you believe that God can do that? Do you really believe that? I believe it with all my heart. My, every fiber of my being, I believe that. And I pray for it. And I say, Lord, lead me to the Ethiopian eunuchs. Lord, lead me to the Corneliuses in our community. Please, Father, I hunger for this. I want your name to be justified. I want your name to be glorified. Lead us to these people so that your truth can go forward in great Pentecostal power as it did on the day of Pentecost. Peter never went back to Joppa. Interesting. Philip had a burden for Samaria. Peter had a burden for Joppa, and neither one of them went back to that work because God had other things for them to do. Sometimes we have a desire to do certain things, and those things may be good, but God has to redirect us because we want to be working where the Spirit is working. Is that your desire this morning? Lord, I want to be somebody who's working where the Spirit is working. I want to be part of a church that is working where the Spirit is working. And I believe the Lord is working in this church. I haven't been here very long, but I've heard enough to know that I believe the Lord is working in this church in a powerful way. And I know that he's going to continue to do that. And I'm looking forward to being part of it. But I want to continue to be in the center of the Spirit's will and do his bidding in my life. Is that your desire this morning? Amen? Lord, lead me to do what thou would have us to do. Back to Laura real quick here. As Laura sat night after night and listened to that message that was delivered by that evangelist who is no longer a Seventh-day Adventist, incidentally, left the message, left the church, left his family. Pray for that man. Today, Laura is the only non-Adventist that is still part of the church as a result of that series of meetings. There were about 25 or 30 people that got baptized in that series at the end. A lot of people. Big baptism. Great success. She's the only Adventist that's still attending church. And in the eyes of many, they might look at that and say, well, that wasn't very well spent money or, you know, you've heard it before. You've heard all of those excuses why we shouldn't do evangelism. But as I stand before you this morning, I'm thankful that that church did that meeting because Laura was my mother. And I wonder to myself, where would I be today if that, that local church in Ohio, if you know anything about Ohio, you understand the significance of that. Where would I be today if that church did not choose to do that Bible prophecy seminar? And I remember at my ordination, when I was ordained at, at camp meeting, the pastor who chaired that, that church board to make that decision, he was sitting there, Pastor Igor Potansky. And I couldn't help but weep when I looked into the face of that man. And I thought to myself, Thank you, Lord, that there is a man in Israel who saw the value of public evangelism and led that church board to make a decision to hold that prophecy seminar. For it made all the difference in my life. I'm committed to evangelism. Many of you know I was a former Amazing Facts evangelist. It's in my blood. It's who I am. 
It's what we have been commissioned to do. And I pray that by God's grace, you and I can move forward and continue to proclaim the message here in the Muskegon area and win souls for Jesus. Amen? But let's pray that God's spirit would be the one who is leading us in that journey. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together this morning? Merciful God and loving Father in heaven, it's so exciting to see what is possible when the spirit of God is leading us. And Lord, we want your spirit to guide us as a church family. He has led us. He is leading us. And we just pray, Lord, that he would continue to lead us. That we as a church, each morning as individuals, that we would seek the pearl of great price. That we would plead for the spirit's leading in our own personal lives. And that as a church, we would be made up of a body of believers who are led by God's spirit. Guide us, Lord, to the Ethiopian eunuchs. Guide us to the Corneliuses. And may we make impacts in the lives of people like was done in the life of my mother many years ago. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people who are committed to evangelism. Bless us, Father, as we seek not our own glory, but the glory of our Father who sent his Son to purchase our salvation. For we ask it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.